Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives when his disciples came to him and asked him, what will be the sign of your coming? And instead of a date or an exact checklist, Jesus gave them a description of the future that was to come. He gave them warnings to heed about the temptations his people would face, and he gave them examples to follow to teach them how they should wait. He taught them that the Son of Man will arrive unexpectedly, that he will return in surprising glory at a time that nobody is able to predict. Like a servant who doesn't know when his master will be back to check on him, like a sheep who doesn't know when the shepherd will return, Jesus told his disciples that we can't prepare for him to return at a certain time. Instead, he instructed them to be ready for his return at all times. Our Savior made a promise. The dawn is coming. And our teacher gave us a warning. Are you ready? February 6, 2005. That date say anything to any of you? Let me give you a hint. On that evening, I was hosting a Super Bowl party watching the New England Patriots play the Philadelphia Eagles. With the game on the line and time running down, it was painful to watch as the methodically slow movement of the Eagles quarterback and I remember passionate Eagles fans yelling, what's he waiting for? To this day, in fact, even recently, rumors fly around as to what truly happened that caused that quarterback to operate different from the past and to operate with lethargy and no sense of urgency in the moment. It still makes many of us scratch our heads, and for some of you, you've erased the date as if it never happened. The same could be said of what's he waiting for. Back in 1944, General Dwight D. Eisenhower, Supreme Commander of the Allied Forces, was wrestling with the decision of when and whether to launch Operation Overlord. Now for us, we know it as D-Day. But in the weeks leading up to this, there were several moments where they could have launched that particular operation. Different commanders were arguing over the timing of when they should launch it. Even arguing, what are you waiting for? If we don't go now, dot, dot, dot. Each of them and these commanders were looking through a limited lens. But for Eisenhower, he was considering a bigger picture. This, that was affected by weather because the winds would affect the gliders and the parachuters. The seas would affect those that were on landing craft. The beaches would be affecting the tanks' ability to roll off of those landing craft. And even with that, in June, they were concerned about, do we have enough time to finish this operation before winter comes? In the end, he was concerned, yes, about winning the war, but he was also concerned about saving lives and making sure that they didn't waste the lives that they had. His commanders would keep barking in his ear, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? 
This series is about the end times. Or should I say, really about Jesus coming back. We're looking at the Olivet Discourse that happened on the Mount of Olives. Jesus looking back over the city of Jerusalem. This is on Tuesday of the Holy Week. In just a couple days, he would be crucified. A few days after that, he would resurrect. I'm sure that many on that week were like, what are you waiting for? Why don't you become that Messiah we all expect? And let's get rid of Rome altogether. And let's take back our nation. Jesus was asked a question as to when will the destruction of Jerusalem happen? Because he just spoke that on Monday before the priest, that Jerusalem would be destroyed. So they wanted to know. These disciples asked him while on the hill, when is this going to happen? And oh, by the way, when will you come back? You keep talking about it. You're going to come back at some point and establish your kingdom. After his resurrection, he says to them, I'm going to be leaving, but I will come back. And from that point on, the church has been waiting. And for some, they might be saying, what is he waiting for? And today, we will look at God's response to that very question. So I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Uh, and we will be there uh, just the first 14 verses, uh, basically from 3 to 14. And we'll then go to 2 Peter 3. So if you could actually look up both, uh, that will be helpful to you. If you have the Version Bible app, all you have to do is go into that app, hit on Events tab, Look for LEFC among the churches listed there. Tap on LEFC and you'll get all the passages we're using today. But we will be in 2 Peter chapter 3 for sure. All right, so let's begin by reading in verse 4 of chapter 24. And again, the context is the disciples want to understand when will Jerusalem be destroyed and what will be the signs of his return? When is he coming back? So verse 4, and we've already preached over this text up through verse 13, but before we get to the verse of today, you need to have that context. So here we go. Watch out that no one deceives you, Jesus said. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So you hear in this, not yet, not yet, not yet. But then verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. And then the end will come. God 
is basically saying here, I am waiting for the gospel, the good news about my son Jesus and my provision for mankind to have a reconciliation back towards me. I'm waiting for the world to hear that message and then I will come back. That was spoken 2,000 years ago. Since that time, culture has become more wicked and more adversarial to that gospel, you could argue. Keep in mind, first century church was being burned at the stake for this very gospel. And then times of peace come, and then more persecution comes. Today, people are suffering at greater rates. War has become constant and people are beginning to doubt this coming is ever going to happen. After all, it's been 2,000 years since he said he was going to come. 2,000 years. That's a long time for somebody who says, I'm coming back and I'm coming soon. The very statement of that and the fact that it's taken 2,000 years would cause most people to say he was a fraud. He wasn't real. His message isn't authentic. So are you here listening today to a false message? Because a leader says he was coming back and he hasn't. Second Peter Chapter 3 becomes very important in our understanding of Jesus' words. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 3. We're going to go to verse 9. We're going to pause, though, at verse 7. It says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, there will be scoffers who will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And these scoffers will say this, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. But these people deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by those waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Let me pause there. So you have here that as time goes on and we get more and more separated from the statement of Christ that says, I'm coming back and I'm coming back soon. Man's impatience will lead to cynicism. And mockery. Man's impatience will lead to cynicism and mockery. And I would say Peter is reminding us of that which is human. I mean, think about it. When friends have a broken relationship, when they separate from each other, is it not a common experience, especially if you've been a part of that and you've been on the receiving end, that when somebody broke away from you, that they began to talk to others? Poorly of your character. 
or poorly of you. And then when others might say, oh, I think they'll do pretty good at that, the cynical response to them is they'll sow seeds of doubt about you. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure that they have the ability to do that. Or they'll show, throw in little jesting statements of, of mockery towards you to make others just feel a little bit less confident in you. If you've ever been the recipient of such a broken relationship, it should not surprise you that when people break away from the church, maybe they grew up in the church, they were taught in the church, and they were taught that this, the, the, the truth about Jesus coming back, and then as they break away and their hearts grow cold, and people bring up stuff about the return of Jesus, they become cynics. I highly doubt that. I don't know. It's been an awful long time. Or that word, I don't know. It doesn't jive with today's culture. It's stuck in time. And then they often become mockers of the church. They speak poorly of the church. Oh, it's a bunch of hypocrites. It's a bunch of people that aren't consistent. Or they say one thing and do another. That's the human response, typical of nature, of a fallen nature that says, when you don't like where you're at and you've left somewhere else, you try to lower the other so that your esteem rises higher. Been there? Maybe you've even done that yourself. I would say that there's many points in my history that God, that God was not pleased with my tongue because I used it to lower other people to build myself up. So in the case of a church movement that builds itself with the anticipation that Christ could come back at any time, of course human nature would say, I'm going to mock that church. Of course they would be cynical of its power and its influence and its validity. Of course, these things would be so. That's what we do when we don't like where we're at. Or we've left something and we want to soon forget. Peter says, expect this. Expect that as it goes a long time. So even Peter, who heard the very words of Jesus saying, that in time, when the whole gospel, when the gospel has been shared with the whole world, then I will come back. And the end will come. Peter says, you must understand that as the last days do come, so will the scoffer. So will the mocker. And they will be calling out the statement of Jesus. Where is this supposed return he talked about 2,000 years ago? So we should be expecting this, that as people uh, disenfranchise themselves from churches or maybe they've never been around the church and then they hear about this guy that, that they know about Jesus that maybe they associate with Christmas or Easter and they say, you think he's coming back? When did he say this? Well, 2,000 years ago. <laughs> You're the fool. You're the fool. Peter says, prepare yourself for this going long. When Jesus said it, 
A lot of people assumed it was going short. But when you read what's written by Peter, John, and James, they speak of a time that takes time for when Jesus returns. So prepare yourselves. You must understand, yes, if you call upon the name of Jesus, expect to be mocked, expect to be ridiculed, and expect the issue of the delay of Christ being one of the things they throw in your face. Let's continue reading. Verse 8. But do not forget this one thing. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is a th- like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. Do not forget this one thing, Peter says. When you're experiencing the mockery of another and they're pointing to you about the idea that you'd believe in a return of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're sitting here now and you're struggling with the doubt of that reality. Remember That with Jesus, who is the Son of God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is but a day. You see, God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit pre-exist time. So time is but a breath to them. It's but a breath. I mean, think about just even what's happened in the last few weeks. Just six weeks ago, I was waking up every morning feeling like I am holding my age well. And then about five and a half weeks ago, I woke up one morning and I could hardly stand up because my hip was so sore. And since then, I have to do all kinds of stretches just to be able to stand in front of you today. Now, you could say, what did you do to your hip? And that would probably be a loving question towards me. But some of the staff here at LEFC that are supposed to be shepherds said, you're just getting old. (laughs) Yeah, love, right? So in the last five and a half weeks, I've felt my age maybe a little bit more than normal. And during that same span of time, A lot has changed in society. Things keep moving along, fast-paced. But it hasn't always been that way in our eyes. It wasn't all that long ago that you didn't have access to information about all the world's problems. It would take days for that to come to us. Some of it would never even come to us. Just think about a hundred years ago. There are people alive today that were alive a hundred years ago. In basically, you know, 2022. I mean, 1922. Think about what their life was like in their first few years. There was not phones in their homes. A few years later, phones would come into their homes. And they would have to listen. Is that two shorts and a long? 
one long, then two shorts, and then a long? See, some are laughing right now because they know exactly what I mean by that. How many of you know exactly what I mean by that when I, okay, all right? I would only know because I wasn't alive back then because my mom told me about it. I don't know what that says about her age, but that's just beside the point. She's not here this morning, so I can speak about her that way. Here's the thing. Back in the day, all the phones were wired together, and you would know your number based on how long the ring was, either short or long. And it would go in a pattern, and it would tell you, oh, that particular ring was for me, which meant that you would have to listen to other people's rings. Could you imagine? And then they got into a place where it's like, okay, shared lines. And it's on a rotary phone. So you could pick up, and my grandmother had this. And if you picked up and you could hear voices, you're like, oh, I can't make that phone call right now. Or you'd be talking on the phone at my grandmother's house, and you could hear that somebody was listening in on your phone call. Well, the rotary phone, well, we got rid of that, and then we went to that really cool touch-tone phone. You could just push buttons, and it was so much easier than waiting for that dial to roll back. God forbid that you had a zero in your number. And again, some of you have no idea. It's okay. But if you had a zero in your number, a touch-tone phone was a saving grace. Then we got to that place where you could actually get this pack that was bigger than a King James Bible. And it had a phone in it. And you could call people. I remember seeing the first one that I'd ever seen with my eyes of a guy that I knew that, that had a red convertible and he had this pack on his thing. And, and I asked him about it and he goes, well, that's a phone. And I'm like, what? Then we got our own phones where they were a little bit more small that you could put in your pocket. It might be a little bulging, but you could do that. And you could flip it open. Then the smartphone actually happened. Oh, by the way, before, while it was the flip phone, they introduced texting. And then we had to figure out how to text things using coded messages because we had to pay per digit what we were using. So we would use pounds and symbols of various kinds to create a sentence that was only like 10 characters. But when the smartphone came, everything really, really changed. Because that meant that all information that could be seen, listened to, or written was accessible by the movement of a thumb. Which meant all the things of temptation of the past were required. If you had an addiction to pornography, you had to go to a store to go get it. Now you just move a thumb. If you had temptations to gossip, before you would have to be an audience with someone. Now you can post it and the entire world can see. The information that can depress us from the world, <laughs> any minute, if you opened it right now, who knows what's happening in Ukraine? Who knows what might be happening in Southeast Asia? Who knows what's, what the recent polls are for the upcoming election? You could look it all up right now. You could even look up the text I'm doing today and listen to somebody else's sermon and say, I like this one better. Everything's changed. 
But that's just 100 years of change over one piece of technology. But for God, it's but a breath. It's but a breath. So when Jesus said to those disciples, I'm coming back, and I'm coming back soon. For him, he operates on a different time span than what we do. For him, it is soon. But he's telling us to be prepared at any time. But even Peter restates what Jesus says as to why he hasn't come yet. So keep in mind, he says, there are going to be people that are going to mock you. They're going to ridicule you because you have chosen to follow after somebody that says they're coming back soon. And it's been 2,000 years. What are they waiting for? In verses 8 and 9, what we discover is this. And here's the limitations of man. God's infinite qualities, where he spans beyond Time, before time ever existed, beyond time's existence, God is. God's infinite qualities exposes our finite limitations in understanding him. So when we think God is being slow, you are speaking as a human being who is even shorter than a breath. Your life might only span 50 years. And for God, a thousand years is just like a day to him. So the time as it feels to him is but a breath. But why does he wait in what feels to us like being slow? Verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, because we're finite beings trying to understand something infinite. Instead, he is what? Patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What if God's patience and his sense of time was exactly as what us as human beings have in our minds? If we were doing God's job for him because we thought we would know it better, my guess is God would have come over 1,500 years ago, maybe even 1,800 years ago. And what cost would that have come at? You and I. What if God was not patient? What if God operated by our levels of patience? You and I would not be sitting here today with hope. I thank God that he did not come during what was the most chaotic time in the last 100 years during that time in the 1940s. I thank God that he didn't because he waited. I now know Jesus. Because he waited, you're hearing about Jesus today. And many of you know him as well. And because he didn't come this past week, 
Some of you might be hearing about Jesus for the first time today. It says here, the reason why he waits is because he wishes that none perishes and that all come to him. That's why he waits. So when we ask the question, well, what's he waiting for? It's been 2,000 years. He's waiting that none should perish. He's waiting that all would come to the gospel and receive him and come into relationship with him. And as what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14, when people were asking him, like, when's this return going to happen? When is the end going to happen? And he says, it's going to get worse. It's going to keep getting worse. Things are going to become difficult among people and among the things of the earth. That Nature itself will be groaning for his return. But he says, it won't be yet. What will indicate the proper time for his return is when he feels that the gospel has gone to the whole world. He wants the gospel to go to the whole world. So if God's patience, the reason why he didn't come last week, the reason why he didn't come 20 years ago, the reason why he didn't come 100 years ago, or 1,000 years ago, or yes, even 1,900 years ago, the reason why he didn't come is because for every day he waits, there are more that will spend eternity with him in heaven. And thank the Lord that he does have that perspective because that means you and I have hope. We have that connection. It's also true that for every day he waits, more are birth that will never know Jesus. Those are things that are upon God's purview. It's not for me to question, but it is true. God's only going to spend eternity with so many people, whatever that number is. And for every day he waits, that number is larger. And if that is the case, and we want to see his kingdom grow, and we also want to see him return, and the whole point of us even having life and breath today is based on more coming to know Jesus, then what should we be about? If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you have a relationship with him, and you call upon him and, the, and God the Father, then our love and our commitment should be about what he loves and what he's committed to. In other words being on mission with him as a follower of Christ. So then how does this work? If Jesus says to his disciples, I will come once the gospel's gone out, and Peter says many are going to get impatient because they think it should have happened by now, but it still hasn't, and Peter reminds them, it still hasn't because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants more and more to come to repentance. So if this is the case, what's the role you and I play and each day we're given until he returns. I want us to turn to Romans chapter 10. As I believe Paul gives the strategy that God will use until that day comes when he comes and collects his bride. Romans chapter 10. So you're going back to the left from 2 Peter. We're going to begin in verse 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless one has preached to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites will accept the good news. For Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed our message says, consequently, Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. So what's the strategy? If he's saying that I won't come, Jesus' words, verse 14 in Matthew 24, I'm not coming until the whole gospel has been preached to the nations. Then we need to know what the gospel is. The gospel is, is the good news of Jesus Christ that says salvation, which means we're being saved from something. What are we being saved from? Well, because of sin, we've been condemned towards God's wrath. But that same judgment from that same God who declares that sin must be destroyed and experience his wrath is also the same God who provides the payment for that sin. And he accomplished that through his son, Jesus Christ, by sending him as a sinless man to live consistently sinless, taking upon the sins of the world, upon that cross to which he was not due that death, we were. But he takes our guilt upon himself and then becomes the blood sacrifice to pay once and for all that sin. And then... On the third day, he raises from the dead, giving life. So he becomes our risen Lord that provides life and life anew for those of us that are still on the earth. But we also have hope for life eternal with our resurrected Lord. But this gospel, which is now available to you, must be received as it says in verse 9. That you must declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That he is the leader of my life. He's the one that calls the shots of my life. And then believing in your heart that he indeed was raised from the dead so that you know within your heart that he is who he said he was and he did what he said he did. And then we confess that with the mouth because of that, he is Lord, he is leader. And verse 10 says, it's because of those things that with your heart and your mouth connected together, the whole man sincerely professing a faith, we are then saved. That is the message that we are to share wherever our feet take us. Because as objects of that grace that was given us, that that faith as a gift given to us, we now get the opportunity to share it. Because if we just simply hold it for ourselves and we withhold it from others, then what you're saying is, I don't care when Jesus comes back. And I don't care that if he comes back that others aren't going with him. This gospel is meant to be shared 
from generation to generation so that more and more people can hear it and receive it and experience life eternal with God. But here's the problem. Verse 14 brings it up. How then can someone be saved if they have never heard the message? They can't. They have to hear it. And hearing then requires somebody speaking it. We don't just live out the gospel and model a life that's different from the world. Sure, that's important. That's a, that shows the transformation of God changing you. But there needs to be definition as to why that is so. So it can't be just deed. It has to also be spoken word. So hearing requires someone speaking to them that gospel. And then someone speaking that gospel needs to be sent, reminded that they have to go. The Great Commission says we're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that Christ taught us. So the calling of the church is to go on mission with God because that's the whole reason he isn't here right now. He hasn't come today because there's more he wants to hear this message, which then means the only way they hear about it is that we part of the body of Christ, speak it. And we share it. But here's the challenge. If you and I are faithful at speaking it, and we do not consider anybody else beyond our own personal oikos here, Again, that oikos is that relational world that God has placed you uniquely among, that you might be the only believer some may know. And that's where God's assigned you to disciple. Many of our oikos do know Jesus, but we are called to disciple them as well and move them along in their journey, and then they, us, helping us. But we could do all of that and never leave Lancaster County. It's true. When I moved here, I found it very interesting. Where I came from, uh, you know, I grew up in the Midwest, but I spent the previous 11 years to here in the West Shore area. People in the West Shore area come to Lancaster County all the time. When I tell them about where I'm going to be living in Lancaster County, they knew where Lidditz was. They knew where Lancaster City was. They understood the culture here. But Cumberland County is more sprawl. It's people from other places. When I tell people when I moved here that I just moved here from Cumberland County, they were like, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. It's as if you need a passport to cross the Susquehanna River to the West Shore. You see, we could do a great job sharing the gospel in Lancaster County and fail at the mission of God. You see, the fifth point of this strategy is this, that Jesus' return is indicated by the strategy that says it's not just going to stay in Jerusalem. It's going to go to the ends of the earth. So we have to keep sharing and then be intentional that our sharing goes beyond even where we live. Which is why when you look at the budgets of LAFC, hundreds of thousands of dollars are given to global missions. Because we want to continue to advance the gospel into other places of the world. And by the way, Southeast Asia is our primary strategic initiative. And in Southeast Asia, more than 50% of those who have never heard the gospel live in that small part of the world. 
Jesus could come back today. And there's plenty of scripture to support that, yes, that could happen today. But until he does, we have to keep in mind that there are more that he wants to hear the gospel. So we have our mission as a church. Our Jerusalem might be northern Lancaster County. Our region might be southern Lebanon County or south central PA or maybe our state. Perhaps our country. But the gospel is not meant to stay within our borders. We keep speaking the gospel. Where we live, where our feet take us. And then yet, pray to God. How does he use us in the rest of the world? Let's pray. So Jesus, I just want to say thank you for your work on the cross because without that work, we have no hope. I want to say thank you, you also waited. You waited for me. You waited till at least this point in time where I can know who you are. You waited for many here in this room. And you have chosen to continue to wait for even those in the other parts of the world where we do not know their language or their culture. And they may not even know the gospel. As we prayed over this family earlier today, they're going to a place that has not heard the gospel. Lord, we need more to send. We need people to respond to that gospel so that we can grow a church in those areas of the world. Because, Lord, we know that the whole point of you not having come back is that you care. You care for people that we don't even know what they look like. Don't even know what they sound like. Don't even know their pains of their past. But you continue to wait. Thank you for your love and your patience. But most of all, thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand. Let's thank the Lord for his patience, for his goodness to us.
If you came here today without a relationship with Jesus Christ, I hope that you will ask further questions so you can hear more and understand. And perhaps God will give you faith today like you've never experienced before. We'll have people in the encounter room that would be glad to pray with you and talk with you further. I'll be up front as well. And we just want to make sure that you know because you're part of the reason why God waited. You're part of the reason why God waited. For the rest of us here in the room, we've known these truths for years. And we are waiting. Although we're enjoying life and sometimes we can become neglectful of the fact that there is a mission as to why we even have that day. And so we need to be about making sure that people can see Jesus in our lives. And when given the opportunity to use words, we use words. People need to hear. Jesus said as this final statement to his disciples before leaving this earth. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He was speaking to a group of men that were in Jerusalem. He understood that the region around them, Judea, and the region beyond that, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, was where he was going to call them. And as we spoke last week, that even the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, while it was an evil act by the Roman Empire, it caused the church to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. The disciples scattered as what Jesus said would happen. And so we, as part of the continued movement of the gospel, we should be thankful somebody spoke the gospel to us that we could hear it. We should be thankful that we then were able to receive it and by faith going forward. Now, who is going to be that person that looks to you and say, thank you for sharing what I needed to hear? That's the call of the church. So with that being said, as Jesus said, go into your Jerusalem, go into your Judea and Samaria. So go into Lidditz, Mannheim, Ephrata, Township, or even Southern Lebanon County. Let the gospel be permeating through you. And then be praying like for our missionaries that are abroad. Perhaps be willing to go on a short-term trip when we offer those things to that region of the world. Let's make sure that we do our part in holding the rope for our global partners and making sure that we are caring for them before the Father. These are all things we can do to continue to advance the gospel to the other parts of the world. And we'll be faithful with the funds you give us that we'll keep investing in those regions of the world as well. So having said that, be God's ambassadors. Be grateful for his patience. But his patience is also through us that we continue to share. Amen. You are dismissed. Have an awesome week.